Hey, listeners, ever have trouble getting someone on the phone when you have a question about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person any time, day, or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Did you know that it is Asian American Pacific Islanders Heritage Month? Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, like Carden, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Meath. Plus, you can help support college access and student success when you donate online or round up in-store to APIA Scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native, Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. Joe! Rob! somebody. How is the great state of Texas treating you? It's great, man. I'm enjoying it very much so. The new studio, I love. But am I picking up on chatter that there are some that think that you've, that you, they don't like your new architectural taste? <laughs> or am I just making this up? You know, there is no way you can make everyone happy. It is impossible. And if you do something no. weird, like wait, wait. No! <laughs> I'm telling you, this is what I've learned. I'm Rob Lowe. Welcome to Literally With Me. All right, we got the king on. The king, all hail the king of podcasting, the mighty Joe Rogan. I mean, Joe Rogan strides like a colossus. Over the world of podcasting and his show is weird and funny and interesting and controversial and in-depth and just he's revolutionized what this medium can be. And I am going to learn a lot from him and have learned a lot from him. And we are going to have a great talk. Um, and he doesn't do many podcasts, I don't think. So this is this is a really big deal to have him. And uh, uh I hope you like it as much as I liked talking to him. Fasten your seatbelt. The, the decision to move here from let's move here to move the entire crew and put a studio and have it on the air all happened inside of six weeks. So it was really, it was very quick. So that's, that's what we decided to make happen in six weeks. And I'm eventually going to get out of that spot and move to another spot. And I'm actually looking at doing something like that right now. What um what prompted the uh, the six week turnaround? Well, I just decided I had enough of California. Are you peeing, I mean, I Joe? Was, are you peeing right now? No, no, I'm pouring water into a container to make coffee. <laughs> okay, no, I'm not I just I just check. I don't. You never know. Well, I would tell you if I was peeing, but you're going to hear the coffee machine any second now. Um, the decision was just I I wanted to get out of here for a while, and I took my family to to uh. Austin a couple of times 
and they really liked it and the girls were into it my daughters were into it and if they were into it i was like well come on let's give it a shot the worst thing that happens we hate it we come back to la but they love it and so we're here how hot is it like compared to mars it's not, dude, it's not that bad. It really is not that bad. And the, I don't mind heat. I've always liked hot weather. So the, the August weather was no big deal. But, you know, it gets like 100. Sometimes it's 90. But right now it's like in the 80s. It's, it's gentle. It's like 81, 82. Yesterday it was 75. It's not bad That's now. That's great. But it's so pretty. It's, I love it here. Do you, um, do you water ski or wakeboard or any of that stuff? Uh, I'm doing it now. I, I haven't actually begun, but we got a boat, so I'm going to do all that jazz. The thing that everybody loves now is, um, like when I when I grew up on the lake, it was like you had your, like the, the rich cool kids had the ski nautique boat, and like we were always on the lookout uh. for the hot girls on the ski nautique, and and you would <laughs> and and people who could get up on one ski were badasses. If you could barefoot, then you were really a badass. Um, and then now no one slalom skis and everybody does the thing where they overweight one side of the boat to create a, a big wake and they surf it. Have you, have you tried that? Yeah. Yet? I haven't tried any of those things, but I do watch them all the time. I see them and I will participate. But uh, you, yeah, it's, it, I think it's, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm in no way want to jinx you obviously. Cause you're my friend and I, <laughs> I want you to live for a thousand years, but, but, but you definitely look at and you go, there's an ACL injury waiting to happen there for sure. Is there? I think, I, I think Do if you're people feet, get a lot of ACL injuries, wakeboarding, I would, I mean, I would be the <laughs> idiot who got it. That would be me. Mm. I've had two of those already. I know you, how, how beat up is your body? Really? It's not bad considering what I've done to it. It's pretty good. I, but I, I've had three knee surgeries. I've had uh, two ACL reconstructions one in each knee and then i had my meniscus scoped in my left knee as well but yeah. that said everything works pretty damn good this is you how know? you know the difference between joe and i like like if there was a question of like who was more of a badass me or joe rogan joe in one in one quick sentence tell me how you blew out your knee and then we'll compare it to how i did and we'll see who's more of a badass I blew out my left knee kickboxing and my right knee doing jujitsu. I blew out my knee in the Footloose dance auditions. <laughs> That's awesome. So That's I think hilarious. I, th there's a reason why you are, you could host a show called the man show. Um, there's nothing wrong with dancing. No, there isn't tell you any different. I just want to dance. I just wanted to dance. I just nothing wrong with it, it, man. They took me out in a stretcher. <laughs> I had to do a floor slide at the oh, end of the wow. at, at the at the end of the audition. Um, I think it was to a sticks song, and I mean, I I like I looked over and we all did it at once. It wasn't like flash dance, wherever. But there's a panel of judges and. There's one person up there, like all, like all, uh, all of the actors kind of did it in unison. I, I don't know. I think I might have looked over at Val Kilmer, you know, sliding heroically to the finish, but you know, didn't work out. Was for he me, in man. that movie? No, he didn't get it either. He, he couldn't dance <laughs> worth a shit either. Clearly, <laughs> oh. I 
literally ran into him surfing about three years ago I, I, in, in Malibu. And surfing's martial arts is your obsession. Surfing is, is mine. And I was taking off on a wave and ran over this guy in the water and it was Val. And oh, was, wow. Uh, yeah, he was, he's, a, he's, a, he's a sweetheart. So I am, am fascinated because, you know, when you and I met, um, we, people, always just, people always just assume that all famous people know each other, right? And then- I know, it's weird, you, right? It, yeah, it's, it's weird. Oh, hey, you in the famous club? Me too. <laughs> when did you get your card to the famous club? <laughs> uh, but yeah. we'd, never, we'd never met and we hit it off like a house of fire. And then I was looking over your um, research and- I, I think it's because a lot of our um, the way we grew up is really really similar. I looked at um, you, my 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 folks divorced when I was five. Your your folks divorced when you were five. Then you immediately moved from one part of the country to a, another part of the country that could not be more different. Yep. And you know, knowing what you want to do at an at an early age, like your your passion being, you know starting with Taekwondo and taking it all the way to where you are now with um, all the mixed martial arts stuff. Um, and me always wanting to be a, an actor. I think, I think that might be, be part of it, right? Well, you're interested in things. You're interested in a lot of things. And you, like when we went shooting guns together, like you're, you're a guy who likes to like learn the details of things. You're very, you're obviously detail oriented. And I saw when that guy was coaching you and they were showing you how to do things, like you're a, a good learner. Like you, 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 you get fascinated by things. I think we have that in common, you know, like whether you're talking about wakeboarding or any of the things that you're interested in, you, you get interested in things and people that are curious, they often have really good conversations. And I think that's one of the reasons why you and I hit it off so well. Well, uh, yeah, me, me too. That was fun, by the way. That that range we shot at, and you were good. You were fast. Well, you were you were fast, but you were also smooth. And and you know what they say: smooth is fast, right? Well, I've done I've done it with, at that place uh, probably a couple of dozen times now, and it's uh, real. That's like where Tiana Reeves trains for John Wick, and Halle Berry trains there, and um, it's just a really great place. The, the, that guy, Taron Butler, is you know, multiple time world champion shooter. So he just knows perfect technique and do everything correctly. And so you don't develop any bad habits and it's, it's really fun. I mean, it's a, such a polarizing subject guns, but yeah. you know, if you could take out the, the violence aspect of it and think of it as a task, as a, a difficult thing to learn, it's really fun to do. Yeah. As, as a, di- as a discipline, like, like, like anything yeah. else, you know, it's, yes. it's, it's, a, it's a t- very technical discipline, and it feels really good to be proficient at it. Um, yeah, yeah. And and, and it's funny. I, I find that um, I'm sure there are people that can be trained to be a good shot, but I I was just a natural good shot from the first time I ever started shooting. Um, I don't know. It's it just one of those weird things. Um, but, but I think it's you're detail oriented. You're you're a person who pays attention to what you're doing. I think if you follow all the instructions and you look down the site correctly and you don't flinch and yep. you know all those things, it's like like I was saying, it's it's just it's. I think learning things, learning anything. I mean, I've never played a musical instrument, but I'm sure it applies there too. 
learning things that are difficult to do. And as you get better and progress at them, it helps your brain. It does something good to your brain or it rewards you. Like your brain enjoys these new tasks and it likes this new stimuli. And uh, I think it makes your brain better at other things as well. I think the more things that I'm interested in, the more I'm better at the things that I, that I primarily do. I think you're probably right. I, I, my issue is that um, I've learned to fake do a lot of things from movies Oh, yeah, we talked about that with the guns. <laughs> yeah, like, like I fake – like my, my whole introduction to guns was shooting on, in movies and TV. And, of course, you're, you have blanks. And they don't make any noise and there's no recoil. So I was trained to fake a recoil, which is not what you want to do. You don't want to fake that when you're out there on the range. I was, it's like if you and I got into a fight, I would stunt fight you, which means I'd miss your face purposefully by six inches. That's a good <laughs> way to get your ass kicked in the real world. Yeah, the, the fake gun thing, I would imagine if you learn how to do it that way, it's probably difficult to unlearn. Was it hard to unlearn to like to stay still? Yeah, because it really what it was was just, not raising the nose, you know, and just, just, and that, that was the one thing I needed to know, but you look, you have so many different, I, did we talk about this on your show that, that you have an interest in the, in the, um, the sensory deprivation tanks? Did we talk about that? I can't remember. I don't think we did. I don't think we did. No. Um, did you see the movie altered States like I did? Yeah. Oh, yeah, is, definitely. Yeah. That's what got is, me into it originally. Okay. Thank you. Okay. See, I knew we were simpatico. I, so for those of you who have never seen the movie Altered States, it's an underrated 80s classic that stars William Hurt in the prime of his movie stardom, right? It's yep. post-body heat. He's gorgeous. And he's always been a great actor and is. And basically, I don't even know how you would – take a crack at the logline, please. Well, it's based on a, a real man. The real man is John Lilly. And John Lilly was a scientist who really got heavily into psychedelic drugs. And he created the sensory deprivation tank. And Lilly is also a pioneer in interspecies communication. He did a lot. Ah, of work this on, is where it gets on, very good. This is where it gets very good. Continue. Yeah, Lilly was a, a fascinating human being, but he, he was like a legit research scientist who was trying to figure out how to separate the mind from the body. He was trying to figure out how to get the influence of the body, all the, the sensory input that comes from standing or sitting or even lying down, just, just being aware of your body and just get straight to the mind. And he experimented with drugs to do that. And ultimately, he discovered this idea of floating. And the original way he did it, he used like scuba gear. So he had like a scuba headset and he would, he didn't have salt in the tank. He would just be standing upright and like the scuba headset was like suspending him in the water. So it was just like a, like a harness that kind of strapped him there. Mm -hmm. And after a while he forgot that the harness was there and he could relax. And, but he didn't like that because he could still feel the tank. He could still feel the, uh, the, the, uh, the headgear. So he devised a method of just filling this tank up with salt water. So the water was filled with a thousand pounds of salt and uh, he heated it to the same temperature as the surface of your skin. And if you lie in that, cause it's so salty and dense, you float. And because it's the same temperature as the surface of your skin, you don't feel the water. 
it just really does feel like you're flying. And so then he figured out that if you can seal off the sound and make it completely silent, I mean, he had really weird systems rigged up where he could stay in there for days. He pooped in there and peed in there. And he had like a, like a whole sewage thing that cleaned everything out for him. Really bizarre stuff. But that, that's where the sensory deprivation tank was invented because he wanted to figure out how to be completely free of any sensory input from the body. Okay. There's so much to unpack. First of all, <laughs> I think I clearly was in one of his actual personal tanks when I did it. Really? Because I got that he clearly was pooping in because I got the ear infection of a lifetime. Oh, no. I mean, my whole memory of the sensory deprivation tank was the most virulent ear infection a human being has ever had. And it was the first day of shooting on a movie I did called Class. The night before, Andrew McCarthy and I were probably stoned and we decided we're big Altered States fans. And somehow we got it in our heads to look in the classifieds in the Chicago Sun-Times and see if there was a, a, a tank anywhere nearby. And we found one and it was on the, the south side of Chicago, which if you are a music fan, you know it is the baddest part of town. Uh, where Leroy where Brown, Leroy Brown lives. It's where Leroy Brown yeah. lives. So Leroy Brown <laughs> was running a basement sensory deprivation operation. And mm. McCarthy and I got in like mutual tanks. Um, it was, it was brutal. I, but I was, I was obsessed with it. And have you done it? I think that might've been one of the earliest iterations. Have you done it more recently where, where we've, where people aren't pooping in it? Have you done a good one? Yeah. I have my own. What? I have my own tank. Yeah. I Come had on. one at the studio. I wish we talked about it. I would have shown it to you. Yeah. At the, the studio, there's a sensory deprivation tank, the studio in LA. And now I'm having one installed in my house out here in Texas. Okay. Well, I have a couple, I have many questions. First of all, <laughs> is it worth me doing it? Yeah. Even though I'm sober. Yeah. Like I can't, oh, yeah. I can't, 100%. You don't have yes. to be high. It's just great for relaxing. It's really great after a workout. It's really great to just to relax your muscles. It's fantastic for recovery. A lot of um, like uh, professional athletes use it just for recovery. Um, one of the things we neglected to tell the listeners about the movie that we're obsessed with is that he turns into an ape yes. inside the sensory well, deprivation tank at one point. William Hurt does. Well, that is, that's the, the part of the movie that's based on Lily because Lily got really obsessed with drugs. And what, the, what that movie was supposed to be about was like a version of ayahuasca, which is a, right. a shamanic brew that the right. people in the Amazon created. Right. So the idea was sort of loosely based on Lily, who is this serious research scientist who gets really obsessed with drugs. And in the, the movie, he takes this brew, but with Lily, Lily was really actually into ketamine. Mm. He was really into cat tranquilizers, and he, mm. would, he would shoot himself up with ketamine and then get into the tank. And he was so out there and so, so bizarre in the, the way he would act and behave afterwards. That's, in many people's eyes, what inspired that, that movie. But clearly it was inspired by Lily because in the movie, William Hurt, sort of creates the tank. He uses the tank and he uses various iterations of the tank. They actually go through the whole evolution of the tank in the movie. When the, in the movie, it starts up, he's in the tank with the helmet on. And then eventually he's in the tank where he's lying down and then he becomes a monkey. He becomes a monkey. 
It's the best. Yeah, you remember that? Uh, remember it. It's awesome. I think I saw it with Charlie Sheen at the at the National Theater in Westwood. <laughs> and of course, you can only imagine me and Charlie Sheen in the 80s watching a guy on drugs in a tank become a monkey. And we were like, yes, this is <laughs> this is absolutely what I want to do. Yeah, Charlie but might have never recovered. I, I, that might be the answer to all the Earth's problems. I don't understand. So is there a whole thing now where there's lights inside of it? Have you have you heard about this? Yeah, some people are into that. There's lights and there's actually there's a guy in Venice. Uh, his name is Crash and he created his name's Craig, but everyone calls him Crash. And he created like the most advanced version of the tank. And his place is called the Float Lab. It's the best sensory deprivation tank company in the world. And he's in Venice and he has a place in Westwood as well. And he also developed this screen where you can, it, it was like the lowest light emitting screen ever. And his concept was because there's no distractions while you're inside the cage, he wanted to show people like instructionals from in there. And he felt like you could learn much quicker. And he was really obsessed with this. I don't know where he's at with it right now. I haven't talked to him in a couple of years, but he created my tank, the tank that I have in LA. Yeah. So people are into lights. They're into music. There's a lot of weird speaker setups that people put in there. But for me, I just like silence and darkness. That's what I like. I just lie in the darkness and the silence and I, I work on breathing exercises. And it, it to me, it recharges me in the most amazing way. It's, it's awesome. I love it. See, I know with me, I just know the way my life works that I would get in there and all of a sudden there, I, I would just hear a leaf blower. <laughs> just, I'd be in, I'd be in, I'd be like, fuck, really? Now? No. Here? No, you wouldn't. You put, put earplugs in, first of all, that also prevents ear infections. Mm. And then once you're underwater, half your head will be underwater and you're not going to hear anything. You really won't. I mean, I've set up alarm clocks next to it to remind myself. Like, in fact, uh, I was late to the gun range once because uh, I thought I was in there for an hour and I wound up being in there for almost two hours. That's, do you fall asleep? No, you just get lost in the trance in these breathing exercises. And I set the alarm clock, but I, I couldn't hear the alarm through the walls of the tank. The crash tanks, the float lab tanks, he makes these really thick, heavily insulated tanks that they block out all kinds of sound. And it's just, they're amazing. They're really well insulated too, to retain the perfect level of heat. Everything's digitally controlled. So he sets it to 94 degrees and it just stays there. It's such a, it's, a, I, I need to do it again without Andrew McCarthy distracting me. Yeah. Fucking Andrew McCarthy, man. He ruined everything for you. He ruined the movie. Kidding. Kidding. <laughs> Kidding. Kid, I kid. <laughs> Hold that thought. We'll be right back. If you're thinking about doing some home remodeling, check out Window World. Go to windowworld.com and check out their Windows Inspiration Guide. The guide is a dream book of page after page of beautiful windows. It's not just about how good they look. These beauties earned the Good Housekeeping Seal and Energy Star certification. Go to windowworld.com to schedule your free consultation. Tell them you heard about it here on Literally with me, Rob Lowe, Window World, America's Exterior Remodeler. So I came home to a little gift in my bathroom the other day from our friends at Harry's. To get what you want, you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. You know who challenged the status quo? Harry's. 
They saw customers getting ripped off by questionable products in the shaving industry and decided they had something better to offer. So instead of charging the same old ridiculous prices, Harry's found a way to make their beautifully designed razors, and they are beautiful, for a fraction of the price of the other big brands. Exceptional products, honest prices. That's Harry's. They have the highest customer satisfaction in shaving history and a no-risk trial. Don't like your shave? No worries. It's on them. Convenient subscription options that you can cancel at any time. And Harry's also has other self-care products that meet the same quality standards as their razors. Richly lathering, skin-softening body wash and scents like Redwood, Wildland, and Stone. And an extra high-quality, amazing-smelling deodorant for just five bucks. I love their stuff. I'm so impressed by Harry's products. All of it. It's all good. Don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash rob. That's harrys.com slash rob for a $3 trial set. The weather is getting warmer. It's time to ditch the jackets and sweaters for shorts and tees. But there's no need to waste money on clothes that only last one season with Quince. Now you can get high quality pieces that never go out of style. You'll be wearing year after year. Quince has all the seasonal must-haves like 100% European linen shirts for $30, performance polos, and versatile flow-knit activewear. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering with the top factories, Quince cuts out the middleman and passes the savings directly onto you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. My producer recently made an order for Quince, and here's what he had to say. I'm really excited to revamp my closet with Quince. I cannot wait for my items to arrive from Quince. You know, I'm a sweater guy. I was looking at that burgundy cashmere crew neck. I love the blue chore jacket. Maybe I'll throw some joggers in there. So upgrade your wardrobe. Go to Quince.com slash Rob for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Rob to get free shipping and 360-day returns. Quince.com slash Rob. See, I want to get to the point in, in my podcast where I can can have people on like that, like, like people like who invented a sensory deprivation tank. And just, that's, what's so yeah. fun about your, and, and it has always been so fun about your show is how, how quickly did you pivot into being able to have people on that you just were interested in that the public would not know when they're looking at the menu of what episodes to download? Well, luckily when I first started, no one was listening, like literally no one. Right. So I could get away with all kinds of stuff because no one cared. Right. Like it, it was, it wasn't like now, now the expectations are already there that I'm going to have a bunch of weirdos on. So it's no problem. <laughs> right. But back then it was, you know, people thought that podcasts were for idiots. It was like, what are you doing? Why are you wasting your time? Um, it wasn't a, a serious thing at all. Like nobody took it seriously. My professional career never revolved around the podcast. It was just something I did when I wasn't doing stand-up or if I wasn't doing the UFC commentary. I was just doing that for fun. And so if I had a chance to talk to someone like a John Lilly 
or Graham Hancock or, or, or these interesting, strange people. I love Graham Hancock. I love him too. Love, love, love when he's on your he's show. He's a fascinating human being. He really is. And his obsession with ancient civilizations and, uh, and the, just the history of humanity. It's amazing. But so I had him on, he was actually one of my earlier guests, like really early on. He and I uh, corresponded through email and became friends. And it's just back then it didn't like no one, no one cared what I was doing. So I could have on a comedian and the next day I could have on a scientist and the next day I could have on a fighter. No one cared. So it was easy to just do whatever I wanted to, because if you had to try to do that today, like if there was no such thing as a podcast and someone poured a bunch of money into it, and built you a studio and had all this infrastructure and a bunch of it, producers and executives, there's not a chance in hell they would have let me do what I did. They would have, they would have right. told me, no, no one wants to hear that. What you need to do is interview famous people or interview some singers or, you know, they would, they would want something that would guarantee eyeballs. Yeah. And they wouldn't be, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't be wrong because it took, it took a, I mean, your show was really successful right in that sort of first year, but the explosion to where it is now has taken a bit, but I mean, it's, yeah, it took forever. It took forever. It wasn't really successful at all in the beginning. I mean, for the first few years, I would get like a thousand, a couple thousand people would listen. It was nothing. It was, you know, so they would be right. <laughs> they would have been right. <laughs> it wouldn't have been, but nobody was listening to podcasts back then. And it was certainly not something I thought of as a career. It was really just for fun. I didn't make any money for the first five years. It was, it was just fun. We just, I just did it because it was an opportunity for me to talk to my friends and talk to interesting people. See, and I'm, I'm having a similar with this is I, I, I'm loving doing this more than I ever thought I, I ever would. And I thought it would be really fun or I wouldn't have done it, but yeah. it's so fun. And I have to say, I don't know about, about for you, but when I run into people out in the world who are like, Hey, I listened to the such and such, I see your guest in the podcast, this and the podcast, we immediately have a conversation that is way different than somebody saying, Hey, I love you in Wayne's world or yeah. parks and rec. Yeah. It's, it's for sure. a whole different phenomenon. Yeah, it's my favorite. It really is. And when you did my show, I knew you would be really good at it. You could tell right away. You're such an easy conversationalist and you could tell that you enjoy talking to people. And that's really all it is. And you enjoy talking to people. And guess what? People enjoy listening to people who enjoy talking to people talk. Hmm. That's really, it's really that simple. It's like, it's not rocket science. Oh, I was going to ask you what the secret sauce is, but it sounds like <laughs> that's, it's, you've got it. You've already got it. You've already well, got the secret sauce. From your lips to God's ears, kid. <laughs> it's just uh -huh. curiosity and being a good conversationalist. That's all it is. Like being curious and, and learn, knowing how to listen and how to just, just how to talk to people. And that, that's kind of a, I mean, we know, you know, both of us have done some acting. We know what it's like with some actors. Some actors just, they don't talk to you. They wait for you to stop talking so they can talk. And then they talk yes. at you. And yes. that's not something that people like to hear. But you're not like that at all. And that's why I thought you would be really good at this. Well, thank you. I, I, another, another thing is I'm, not a, I, I've, I'm very obsessed with how people communicate. Like, I'm really obsessed with word, with like, I, I just am obsessed and very specific and it annoys my, my family. But 
I've diagnosed this thing with with people that's going on right now, and maybe it's because so many people have gr- grown up texting, and the, the art of conversation mm. is is wi- withering on the vine as we speak. Um, yeah, but I, I've diagnosed a new way of speaking is called um, second askers, and there are people who ask you a question, and as you're answering, they ask the same question again, but in a different way. Mm. So I'm I'm going to show you what I mean right now. Is a, play along with me. We're going to do a, little, do a little improv. I'm going to ask you some questions. You just keep answering, and, and I will be a second asker. Okay. So Joe, how do you like Austin? How, I, Joe, how do you like Austin? I love it here. It's great. Yeah, it's because Texas is great, right? Texas is great. Yeah, because that lake's there, and it's really warm, right? It's very warm. Yeah. Do you do swimming in it? Because I love yeah, swimming. You swimming can is so swim cool. In there. You're swimming. I know how to swim. Did your, your kids are swimming? Are they swimming in it too? They know how to swim too. Yes, but where are you right now? Like the second askers drive me insane. And <laughs> and just everybody out there listening, like 10 years ago, it was uh, up talk where everybody talked like this. Yes. And I, I, don't, yes. Really, I don't know if I'm really going to be able to make it. Um, I don't really know if I'm going to like this podcast. So- so ten ten years ago it was up talkers, and now it's second askers. So, so just be they would be bad podcasters, don't you think? They would be the worst. Yeah, the uh, up talk is a tech thing. All those tech dorks, like if you go to Silicon Valley, anybody who works for Google or Apple, they like automatically talk like that. It's almost like that's the only way they allow them to communicate. It's a it's like a strange a signal, like you're letting everybody know that you're in the tech clan. <laughs> you know what I mean? I had forgotten that you were on news radio with my one of my favorite people, the late great Phil Hartman. Yeah, he was awesome, amazing guy. Loved that dude. Phil Hartman was like Lou Gehrig on Saturday Night Live. He was like the Iron Man, the man who could play everything. Um, what was he like? What was he like on news radio? Well, he's just a super professional, like a great person, like really fun to be around, like always smiling and laughing. Like he's just a, just an interesting guy, but really into things too. Like while we were doing news radio, he got into uh, aviation and he got a pilot's license. In fact, uh, I bought a house out in the West Valley because he, like he was telling me like, before you buy a place, let me take you up in my plane and I'll show you like all these spots out in the West Valley you probably don't even know about. And I was like, oh, okay. Wow. And so he took me up in his plane and yeah, he got like really into air travel. And like in between takes of uh, the, the television show, he would go to his room and he would be working on taking his aviation exam. He's just a really smart guy who's, Super professional. Like he made me feel like such a slob because he had like tabs for his uh, script for each scene that he was in and they were colored differently. And yeah, he was awesome. I miss that guy so much. That was such a bummer, man. Oh, that's one of the most horrible Hollywood stories. I mean, for for the people listening aren't familiar, he was, I mean, it's almost impossible to say he was killed by his, his wife, killed him. And then killed herself. Just yeah, brutal. Killed herself with the kids in the house. Yeah, She killed herself with the kids. And the way I found out about this is through my friend who was a cop. It was, it was a real bummer, man. I was, it was two weeks after the murder and I hadn't 
I hadn't done stand up. I couldn't, I just couldn't do it. And then I was like, you know what? Let me just, I got to get out of the house. I, I can't just stay home. Let me just go to the comedy store. And I'm on my way to the comedy store. <sighs> and I stop at the gas station and I run into a buddy of mine who's a cop. And he's like, how you holding up? And I'm like, I'm good. How you doing? He goes, man, he goes, uh, you know, we were at the house. No. I go, you were at the house. And he goes, yeah. He goes, um, one of my um, partners broke in the door because she was in the bathroom after she shot Phil. She was in the bathroom with the kids with a gun. No. So they broke down the door to rescue the kids from her because oftentimes when a mother kills herself, she'll also kill her children. Right. And so she had just killed Phil and they were trying to talk her into getting out of the house. They knew that she had killed Phil and the cops broke down the door and then the kids ran away from their mother. And when the kids ran away from their mother, she blew her brains out. So I hear this from my friend and then I drive to the comedy store and fucking bomb. I mean, bomb like I've never bombed before. Like I was so sad while I was on stage. Nothing that came out of my mouth was remotely funny. And I I should have just not did it. But I, you know, I'd already committed to being on stage. I had a spot. At the comedy store, if they give you, you know, a 10 o'clock spot or whatever the spot is, you do your spot. You're a professional. Mitzi expected you to do your spot. And so I, I just, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget talking to him while I'm pumping gas or my spirits sank through the bottom of my shoes listening to that story. I've never forgot it. I've never forgot the thought of that lady being in the bathroom with her kids and a gun and then the cops breaking down the door and the children running away from their mother and then hearing the gunshot. It's crazy. It was so, so, so shocking. And he was one of the so terrible. And you know, know, they got the family got a, they they won a a case. They got some sort of restitution from Zoloft. Yes. Because she was on Zoloft, and Zoloft is one of those drugs, apparently, with some people. If you mix it with narcotics, like yep. she was on Zoloft and she was doing cocaine. It literally makes people psychotic. And it's just a horrific side effect of uh, that antidepressant. Ugh. When mixed with Coke. Yeah. Terrifying. Just terrifying. Just, um, yeah. Where, where are you on, on, on antidepressants? And- as far as uh, antidepressants and uh, SSRIs, I think they certainly have their place. I have friends that it saved their life. I was one of yeah. my best friends. He was very suicidal and he got on antidepressants. Now here's a weird one. It turns out he was having a reaction to taking Propecia to stop his hair loss. Oh, stop. Pro- wait, 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 Propecia hair loss. Yeah. Important subject. Important yeah. subject for Rob yeah. Lowe. Yeah. What, what yeah. was going on? Well, Propecia what it does is it blocks your body's production of DHT. It's a dihydrotestosterone. And what that is, is that's the cause of hair loss. It's a testosterone derivative that causes hair loss. So Propecia, which was originally Proscar, it was a uh, prostate enlargement drug for guys who have enlarged prostates. And while they were giving it to these guys, they realized these guys were actually growing hair back. 
And so then they stopped using it for that and started using it for hair loss. But for some people, what it does is it, it adversely affects you in a way that you get severely depressed and even suicidal. And again, it's one of those some people. I took Propecia before I gave up and, and shaved my head, and it didn't do that for me. It didn't, it didn't do that for me at all. But what it did do is it made me kind of listless and tired. And it just, it, when I got off of it, I had much more, much more energy. And it was, it was like it was stunning. And I only got off of really? it because uh, my prescription ran out. Yeah, I was planning on upping my prescription again, but I had to go visit the doctor. And uh, I had been off of it for a couple of weeks. I'm like, God damn, I got energy like crazy. And my boners were out of control. And I was like, what is going on here? And then I realized like, oh, it's the Propecia. And then I got back on it again and the same feeling, listlessness and my boners were not nearly as excited. And then I realized like, oh, I'm probably doing something bad to my body with this stuff. And then eventually I tapped out and just shaved my head. But my friend was very depressed, like suicidal. And he, there was something wrong. And he eventually got off the Propecia. He got on SSRIs leveled himself out, became much happier, and then got off Propecia and realized that that was probably what was causing it for him. When was the day when you raised the white flag and said, I'm going, I'm shaving, I'm going badass, bald, go, I'm, I'm done? Well, it wasn't an easy one. I mean, I, I, I had hair transplants. I did the whole thing. I tried forever. I used minoxidil. I, did a, I wish I just shaved my head from the jump. But I had been, you know, like when I got on news radio, I couldn't believe I was on TV. I was like, oh, my God, I'm on a television show. Like Mm -hmm. I'm making money. Like I didn't want it to go away. I was worried that I was going to lose. My career was very fragile. Right. You know, I was like one of eight on a sitcom. And I was like, God, like I would love for this to be a permanent thing, because what I was really hoping for was to develop an audience that would come see me in comedy clubs. And back then in the 90s. The best way to do that as a comic was to have a sitcom. Right. So here I am. I mean, I, I have this incredible break. I'm on the sitcom with Phil Hartman and Dave Foley and Andy Dick and Maura Tierney and Candy Alexander and Stephen Root and Vicki Lewis. And I'm like, this is amazing. Like, how am I so fucking lucky? I'm here. I'm like, I got to keep this rolling. I got to do. And my hair was falling out. I was like, shit, <laughs> what am I doing? I'll do anything. I'll take this. I'll do that. And so I got a, a, I got three hair transplants and I have this big smile on the back of my head, this long scar where they took, I, I, I have a joke about it where it's like having a hair transplant is like taking people who are really healthy and moving them to a neighborhood where everyone's dying because they take the hair, they take the hair out of the back of your head where it never falls out. And they put it into the top of your head where everything's fallen out. Even, you know, even after they put that hair in, the other hair falls out. So now you have just like just a few hairs that are left. And it got to the point where even if I would get a nice haircut, my hair would still look like shit. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I just got to shave my head. And I would have done it earlier if it wasn't for the scar on the back of my head. But then I decided that scar would serve as uh, like a public service announcement to other guys. Like, don't do just sit, shave your fucking head. Just throw, throw in submit early. Submit. Yeah, well, I'm happy I did. I, I, even if I had hair today, I would most likely keep my head shaved because it's so easy. It's just, yeah. I just, every couple of days, I just whack it with buzzers and I got a good shaped head. 
So I, some people have weird heads, right? They have like a weird flat area in the back of their head yeah, or something like that. You don't so want to look like one of those Peruvian ancient skull, alien skull heads. That's not good. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah, I got lucky. I have a good round head. But uh, I'm very happy that I did it. It's just, it was a huge weight off my back because I was always wondering, like, when are they going to cure baldness? When are they going to have something that doesn't mess your body up or doesn't require surgery that just fixes it? But they, they still haven't figured that out, which is kind of amazing. I, um, yeah, I, 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 it's, it's insane. Who do you, I'm obsessed with hair pieces. I'm obsessed with Mm. men's hair. I just am. I'm obsessed with all of it. And I always try to identify like, um, I think he's a secret hair piece wearer. Yeah. Like peace police. Peace police. Pull over, buddy. Pull over, buddy. I got to check your wig line. (laughs) (laughs) right back after this. Well, you know, no two travelers are exactly alike, and that means no two trips should be either. Texas, vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activity allow for such an infinite number of different travel experiences. I mean, I love Texas. I go like this. The people of Dallas, the culture of Austin, and I love any time I get there. If you're a beach person, well, you can go have fun in the sun with Texas 350 miles of coastline. If you're a rugged vacation type, there's campgrounds, hiking trails, state parks, golf is nuts there, foodies. You got your Texas barbecue and live music in Austin. And of course, if you're into the cowboy scene, you can certainly find it there. And now, Travel Texas offers a -a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom trip matched to their own unique interests. So visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters, yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. Looking for a sparkling clean bathroom without so much hassle? Wet and forget. Weekly Shower Cleaner is here to revolutionize your cleaning future. Just spray today, rinse tomorrow, and voila! Enjoy a sparkling clean shower and tub without any scrubbing. It's the secret to a hassle-free clean bathroom that many are discovering. With over 33,000 five-star reviews, Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner has proven its effectiveness on shower glass, fixtures, tiles, and more, ensuring everything shines with minimal effort. This product has gained a loyal following thanks to its once-a-week application that makes it a standout in the cleaning aisle. Join the ranks of satisfied users who enjoy more me time and less clean time with Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner, available at Amazon, Lowe's, Menards, Home Depot, and Ace Hardware. It's the perfect choice for anyone wanting to simplify their cleaning routine. Don't miss out on a chance to transform your bathroom cleaning with just one application a week. Pick up a bottle of Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner today and join the thousands who've already made the switch to Effortless Clean. I love fast cars, but there aren't a ton of high-performance TVs. They're certainly out here, there. But when I, when I get a chance to get behind the wheel of one, it's, I love it. And I was blown away by the Kia EV6 GT. When you get behind the wheel of the Kia, it is literally like being in a state-of-the-art rocket ship, but also comfortable. The thing goes from zero to 60 in 3.4 seconds. 
It is the premium driving experience. And of course, it's an EV. So the climate thanks you. SiriusXM provides access to over 165 channels in the vehicle. Music, sports, news, comedy, yacht rock. Let's go. Little little steely Dan going in your Kia. Come on now. So check it out today. It is the all-electric Kia EV6 GT. I had a blast checking it out. Believe me, you should do it yourself via kia.com slash EV6. To learn more, that is kia.com slash EV6. Kia, movement that inspires. I have a question for you. You've been married now how many years? I met your wife. She's lovely. Very sweet. And by the way, she seems like a badass. She was training at the studio and she was getting at it. Yeah, she gets after it. Um, do you guys have a hall pass? What's your What's your position on hall passes? No, no, that was a quick answer. Like, like the Jada Pinkett thing? No, 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 no. I think if you open up the door to that, like you're 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 going to be doomed. Don't you think? Oh, I do. I, I'm listen. I moderation has never been in my wheelhouse. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I know. What, you know, did you see the Jada Pinkett Will Smith thing? You saw that thing. That was bizarre beyond belief, I thought. <laughs> so strange. I was like, guys, just tap out. Don't do not do this podcast. Just quit. Just whatever you're doing, just stop. <laughs> just cut it out. But it got them eyeballs or ear holes or whatever it would be. A good? podcast you're looking for ear, ear holes. holes. Yeah. Well, theirs was visual as well. That's true. That was actually the most disturbing part of it. Yeah. Was, it's uncomfortable. Because you you know when when yeah. when the, the actor famous actors you've seen them your whole lives in great actors like Will Smith you've sort you've seen every face they can make they have no right. more faces they have <laughs> no more faces true. they can make that you haven't seen that's true so as the as he starts unveiling his various faces during the conversation <laughs> you you are like oh yeah yeah he he didn't look like he was having fun. It's amazing that they decided to do that. I wish I was his friend. I, I would have pulled him aside and go, hey, 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 no fucking way. I would have been like, dude, let them talk. Just let everybody talk. Just stay offline for a couple of weeks. No way, man. You're not going to do this. Like, Don't do that. Because there's like a certain, you, you, he couldn't help express through his eyes and his face, you know, the the uncomfortable feelings that were going through his head in that moment. And the fact that they decided to do that publicly, but Hey, you know, like that's what they want to do. Maybe they're different. Maybe they feel like this way they could tell their version of it and just get it out there. I don't know. I, I, I just keep coming back to if he wasn't such a good actor and wasn't so famous and we hadn't seen his faces, maybe we wouldn't have known how painful it was. You know, it's like, uh, I had a friend right. who ran into Marlon Brando in uh, in a Seven Eleven of all places once, and he weighed like you know three hundred pounds and was pushing a shopping cart. My my friend was like, "Are you Mr. Brando? Are you ever going to act again?" And he said, "No, probably not." And he said, "Why?" He says, "I've run out of faces." <laughs> and <laughs> wow, that's heavy. He's a guy I wish I met. God damn, he would have been an amazing podcast guest. Marlon Brando, oh. holy shit. 
Holy shit. You, you, have you seen the great Larry King where he's on Larry King and he's going berserk about the, the then president of, of MGM about some movie that he didn't release well? I mean, it, he his interviews are, are were pretty extraordinary. I I never met him, but there was a really fancy, I think the only five-star restaurant in LA for years. Some, it was on La Cienega. I can't remember the name of it, but it was one of those French restaurants where you could only go to like once a year because it took five hours to eat. Do you know what I mean? And just one of the, it was an ordeal, but the food was super, super French and high, highfalutin. And I just remember halfway through my meal behind me hearing this voice. And this is what the voice said. What what exactly is this taste I'm, I'm experiencing? Is it some sort of jalapeno? <laughs> and you just go, oh. He was like, uh, I didn't even need to turn around. I was like, there he fucking is. But I did turn around and he was sitting there in a muumu with <laughs> with five Tahitian tourists with like the old Instamatic cameras on the table. It was the weirdest. Oh, wow. He was a trip. I, I almost think like to be that good when no one else was. Like if you go back and watch On the Waterfront, oh. he was so ahead of the craft. Yes. You know, and he was just so authentic back when people were still kind of like being weirdly actory, like mm-hmm. weirdly actory was expected of you. You know, if you if you watch a lot of the films from that era, like there's a style of acting that was I guess it emanated from stage acting where you're projecting. Yeah. And you're you're you can't quite be real. You have to kind of be like a little louder than you would be real and project more than you would be real, a little bigger so that the people in the back of the room could read it. But he he had abandoned all that and he had found this very authentic way of behaving. Like in the, on the waterfront, that famous scene where he's talking about his manager selling him down the river and that he could have yeah. been a contender. That's a fucking amazing scene, man. I think to be that good when no one else is, whether it's Brando or Lenny Bruce or any of these like real leg- or Richard Pryor, any of these real legitimate pioneers, you got to be out of your fucking mind. I mean, I, th- I really, I really think, you, and if you're not, you become out of your mind in your pursuit of excellence. I think mean, there's something about it. It's just those those guys, the great ones are almost always crazy. Like Daniel Day Lewis, the guy decides to make shoes. Yeah. He's going to make shoes. He's a fucking cobbler. <laughs> like, what? I know. What are you doing? Like, what are you doing? You're the, one of the greatest actors the world's ever known. You see him in, like, There Will Be Blood. And then the next thing you know, the guy's sewing. It's just, you've got to be crazy. There's something wrong with those guys. I mean, maybe not wrong. I mean, that's the worst. Just the way they interface with the world is just very different, which is why they're so fantastic in the first place. Well, they they have a the other thing is they have a tremendous case of the fuckets. Yep. Like. Yep. Tremendous. They have stage four. Yeah. Fuck it. It's incurable. Fuck it. Yeah. And Brando moved to a fucking island. Oh, he used to come. He when yeah. he was doing um, Streetcar Named Desire on Broadway, he would routinely come downstage center in the middle of the show, turn his back on the audience, which you never did. Ever, under any circumstances. But his thing was like, I'm sorry, in what reality is there an entire wall of this apartment 
that I don't turn my back on from time to time. Right. And it was right. revolutionary. It was like, it was like electrifying. Audiences mm. could not believe it. Yeah. And, it, and it's that kind of, of, he didn't get, he, he didn't give a fuck what the audience thought he was going to do what was real. Well, he, yeah, he knew what was right to do. He knew what he was doing. And even if they didn't understand it, he knew it enough. And he was so immersed in the idea of portraying a character that he knew the right way to do it. I think that's the case with musicians and all kinds of artists and just the, the, the people that are just really, really, really good. There's, there's a certain kind of madness that comes along with that for the ride. And I, I, don't, I don't know of any examples of someone who's truly great, who isn't just a little fucking crazy. Well, and then the other thing becomes at, at, to, at, when you get to the point where you want to have a real life and how do you, how, how do you um, reconcile all of the madness, the varying levels of it, if you have it with talent, and then just wanting to be like a regular functioning, decent citizen, you know, and it's hard for I, people. I, it's hard. It's hard to have both of those things. I think you have one or the other. Well, I mean, I, I tell you, I look at I look at people whose talent I really admire, and that I could never even come close to emulating. And I go, I don't want that life. I don't want it. Yeah. There's a value in there's an, and there's an art to happiness. To, I think happiness is an art in and of itself. And some people never master that art. They they put all their eggs in the the talent basket and they put all their eggs into the craft of whatever, whatever they're obsessed with. And you see it with athletes whose, you know, personal lives are just, just a a horrible disaster. You see it with musicians, you see it with all kinds of people, because I think I, I have this phrase that I've said that I think greatness and madness are next door neighbors and they borrow each other's sugar. (laughs) I I don't, I don't think you get great without madness. I don't, I don't think you do. And I, I think some people have given up on greatness just for love and happiness. And I think there's an art to that too. It's underappreciated because you do that at the cost of your family. You do that at the cost of your friends. It's very rare that you don't because it's such, such a weird road. And here's an example, Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson, when he was young and when he was the heavyweight champion of the world, was clearly a man obsessed. He was just a destroyer. Without a doubt, one of the greatest heavyweight champions of all time, one of the greatest boxers of all time, but also one of the greatest achievers, like a guy who was 13 years old, his life was lost. He had nothing going for him, nothing but despair and poverty and then he gets adopted by this man, Customato, who's this legendary boxing trainer. Customato takes him in, doesn't just take him in, but actually hypnotizes him. Customato was a psychologist and a, a hypnotist and, and trained him, his mind and his body for one task, to be a destroyer. So he goes on to be one of the greatest heavyweight champions of all time. Customato dies. Mike Tyson gets lost in fame and celebrity and, you know, the story that's as old as time and eventually retires. After he retires, he becomes a pothead and he starts Tyson Ranch. And I interviewed him after all this. And he was this peaceful, sweet guy who didn't even work out. 
He told me he couldn't work out. I go, you can't? He goes, I don't want to reignite my ego. Mm-hmm. He goes, I don't even work out. Sometimes I'll get on a treadmill for a little bit, but that's it. But he just smoked a ton of weed. And so the podcast was great. It was me and Mike Tyson just getting blasted. We got high as fuck. And we talked about life. Amazing. 10 months later, 10 months later, he's back on the podcast again. And he's a totally different human because now he's training for this Roy Jones Jr. fight. And what had happened was his wife had told him that he was getting fat. <laughs> so he started getting on the treadmill and seriously working out. So he was right. He knew what was going to happen. He got on a tra- He goes, well, it started off at like 15 minutes. I would do a treadmill for 15 minutes. And then after a while, I'm doing it for two hours. And then he became obsessed. Oh. And then he starts working out hard again. And then someone says, would you fight someone for $30 million? And he goes, well, I ain't fight. He goes, wait, hold up. How much? $30 million. It was $30 million. Fuck yeah, I'll fight somebody. And then next thing you know, he's training like a madman. So when I met him the second time, so the first time he does my podcast, then he comes back on 10 months later, he's a different human. I mean, first of all, he weighs 40 pounds less. He's shredded. I mean, shredded. Like you see every muscle in his forearm. He's completely obsessed. And he was so high strung and so focused on destroying, seeing the intensity and the dedication that was in him. And, but he talked about that on the podcast, like that he gets upset at his family and that he's like, he's just obsessed and that he's back to being, he, he even said it. He said the gods of war reignited his ego. Wow. And want him to do battle again. It was intense, dude. It was so intense that, I've got this new studio in Austin. And one of the things I was thinking of with this new studio in Austin was making the table more narrow because I had a a certain distance between me and the guest in LA. And I was like, maybe I should shrink that for the Austin studio because the the Austin studio is a little smaller space. But then we did the Tyson interview and the Tyson interview was so intense and so nerve wracking that I was like, no, 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 no. I need space. (laughs) Because if I was closer to him, I probably would have been too nervous. I probably would have fucked up the interview or it wouldn't have been as good because he was so ready to go. He was Tyson from like 20 years ago. He's ready to go to war. And it's, it's amazing to watch. But I think that that kind of maniacal obsession that made him the heavyweight champion of the world when he was younger probably wrecked havoc on his personal life. Well, I, I, that's what I was going to ask you. When you can you look at an athlete and go, "Oh yeah, he's on um, something." No, you really can't because some some people are just exceptional. There's there's some guys that are just they just have amazing genetics. But you know you can tell change. The guys who have amazing genetics, they've had amazing genetics their whole life. But when guys change radically, that's that's really a good sign. But it's hard to tell. There's, there's people that just look amazing. Okay, so, so if I work, if I got a job as a Marvel guy tomorrow, yeah, what would you, what, 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 what cocktail would you put me on? Well, the first thing you'd want to do is get your hormone levels checked from mm-hmm. a doctor. Find out where you're at naturally because you don't want to ruin your body. Right. Then the second thing I would say is you have to change your diet. Like if you really wanted to get bulked up, like if you wanted to be Captain America, 
you really have to change your diet. You have to cut out all your sugar because you want to lose all the fat. You got to cut out most bread and pasta and just eat leafy green vegetables and, and meat. That's what I would say. The next thing you have to do is get a real trainer, like a serious person with like a, a degree in kinesiology and someone who really understands how to train a person correctly and get them to see where your body's at currently. Like get you to perform plyometrics, get you to perform deadlifts, get you to perform, you know, kettlebell cleans and presses. They, they got to see what your body is capable of doing right now. Then they'd have to look at your bone structure. Some people have small hands and small bones and no matter what they do, they're never going to get big. They just have that ectomorphic frame. And so then once they've assessed all those things, what they would want to do is raise your testosterone and raise your growth hormone. Now, for a guy like you who's in his 50s, you, you would have to get on some stuff. You'd have to get on testosterone replacement therapy. You'd have to get on human growth hormone. They'd probably want to put you on peptides so you could heal quicker. And you, they would want to make sure that you didn't do anything that was detrimental to the development process of, of muscle tissue and, and of, of growth. So like anything like drinking alcohol or eating cake and sugar, cut all that shit out. Like if you have six months to get jacked, it's not just like, oh, we just put them on steroids. Like that's not, not good enough. You got you to gotta make sure that you maximize all of the progress and minimize all the, the detrimental things that you could be doing to your body. Cut out all the soda, drink nothing but water, cut out all the bullshit. That's what you well, have to he, do. He, the hardest thing of all of it is to cut out the sugar. Yeah, it's, it's hard. It, I, I mean, dude, I wake up in the middle of the night and a voice tells me, go to the kitchen and 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 have Lucky Charms. <laughs> oh, they're and so good. <laughs> Lucky Charms are they're so, so good. good. They're so good. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I my secret weapon, I got these Atkin bars, which have that are just fucking great. And they kill the sweet tooth. But for the most. But, man, I struggle with that. What would are you off of sugar? For the most part, I allow myself to have sugar sometimes. Well, well, here's an example. I went out to dinner with a buddy of mine the other night, and at the end of the meal, uh, they came by with dessert, and I had a big piece of chocolate cake. And, oh, my God, I felt like shit. I had a hard time sleeping, and uh, my stomach was killing me. I was farting terribly. It was like my body was like, what did you do, man? Like, why did you do this? This is terrible for you. So what, because it wasn't like though, because uh, uh, it's so addicting, it's sugar's more addicting than heroin. You weren't like instantly back to being a junkie looking for the fix after doing one big piece no. of cake? No. no, I felt like a moron, really. Really? I just felt like a moron. Yeah, I felt like, oh my God, why'd you do that stupid? Just for a little bit of temporary mouth pleasure, you, you go and you feel like crap and you get a bad night's sleep. And then, you know, yesterday during the day, like, when I went to work out, it felt terrible. Just my, my body was like, Oh, why'd you do that? It was a huge piece of cake, like the size of my head too. It was awful. Oh, I, but for the most part, I avoid that stuff. I'm perfectly capable of taking down a pint of ice cream in one sitting on, on my own. Believe me, I, you know, I, I, I hear you. <laughs> me too. What, what would you, okay. You got to give me some direction today. I, I, like you've got, this is like we were talking about at the gun range. You tell me what to do. I'm going to learn it. I need some steps to get off the sugar. Yeah. You just got to tell yourself that it's killing you because it is, hmm. you know, it's just, it's one of the worst things people do to their body and it affects so many different parts of your body. It, it, 
affects so many different systems. It affects your hormonal system. It affects your, your body's ability to develop growth hormone. It, it affects your body's ability to regulate insulin. It's just terrible. It's terrible across the board, but it doesn't mean you can't have it sometimes. And in fact, after you're done working out, a little bit of sugar is actually good for you. Like there's a, a lot of folks who actually advocate like having a candy bar, like a chocolate bar after a heavy weightlifting session. I don't think there's anything because you're re replenishing glycogen. Some folks would prefer fruit, but there's nothing wrong with a little bit of sugar every now and then. The, the problem is, is your body's not used to sugar in that form. Like when we're drinking a soda or when we're eating a piece of cake, like the amount of sugar that's in that food is so unnatural in the real world. Most of the time when in the real world, if you're eating sugar, like it's, it's, it's in fruit, like, a, like an orange, a delicious orange, it has fiber, it has vitamin C, there's, there's water in it, there's a lot of nutrients in it, and it's actually good for your body to take in. So it's like this trick. Sugar is in some form in glycogen, it is an essential nutrient. It's actually important to have in your, in your diet a little bit of it. But your body's confused as to why it's in this massive quantity, in this crazy form that just doesn't exist in nature. And so you just gorge on it and you almost can't help it. And your, your, your body's like, you, you never get full. You want more and more and more because there's no, there's no nutritional value to it. So it's almost like your body's eating it, hoping it's going to find some nutritional value in it eventually. It's really bad. It's the worst addiction in terms of dietary addictions that we have is sugar. And there's all these studies that confuse like epidemiology studies that confuse like red meat eating with all these uh, horrible uh, health outcomes. But if you really pay attention to those epidemiology studies, they never study someone who's just eating grass-fed steak and like broccoli. Like, oh yeah, red meat's bad for you. Look, this guy eating grass-fed steak wound up getting colon cancer. No, it's people that eat meat. And so you say, well, what kind of meat? Are you eating cheeseburgers? Are you eating Subway sandwiches? You know, they found out that Subway sandwiches, there's so much sugar in the bread that it can't be considered bread. Did you read that? No. I just, I just assumed it was a Danish. I just thought it was an actual <laughs> Danish. It just came out. Like, this is like a, new dietary guidelines. It's Subway sandwiches bread has so much sugar in it, you cannot consider it bread. <laughs> I knew and there's a reason I liked why it. People are so addicted. It's addicting. It's very addicting. I, and that's, that's the number one health problem in America today is our overconsumption of sugar and, and simple carbohydrates. Dude, you got, you got to hit these Atkins shakes that I, that I'm listening. Granted, I'm their spokesman, but dude, I, I'm telling you when I feel like if I want a milkshake or something, I hit that and there's very little, it's like kills my sugar thing because otherwise I go, before. they're very good. They're really they're good. They're very good. Yeah, they taste great. And you, yeah, you think they have to be bullshit because they taste so good. And um, yeah, because otherwise, if I don't do that, if I don't like kill it, if I don't kill the craving in its infancy, then then I it, it could it could be a Benny a Ben and Jerry's massacre. It just gets out of control. Which you can't have. Yeah, I get it, man. Yeah, we can't have. But I'm on basically a mostly meat diet. And that uh, every January, I do uh, January's uh, National Carnivore Month. And so every January, I eat only meat for the whole month. 
wow. and I feel great when I do it. It's nuts. I eat mostly like fatty cuts of meat and liver. I eat a lot of liver and bacon and eggs. That makes my stomach hurt. And nothing that else. Thinking about that makes my stomach hurt. <laughs> it's crazy because you get full really easily. Like we were talking about how you can eat so much ice cream and never get satisfied. It's because there's yes. not much nutrients in that, right? It's right. called satiety. It, you don't really reach satiety. Um, it's not satiating. But when you eat like just meat, you get satiated very quickly. And your, your body winds up leveling out. And you wind up actually losing a lot of weight. I lost 12 pounds when I did it. Wow. I only did it for a month. I lost 12 pounds. Did I tell you this? It, that Stallone gave me... Uh, movie and TV body shaping advice once. Did I, did I tell you this? No, what did he tell you? No, what did he say? He, and this was like, I was training in the same gym um, when he was doing Rambo 2. And if you can remember, like no one had transformed their body ever. Like now you have to do it. If you're doing Marvel, you got to, Every it's just expected. If you're Paul Rudd and you do Marvel, then you got to show up looking like Arnold in the movie. But right. When Sly was doing it in Rambo, it was like, it took people's breath away in that movie. Mm -hmm. And so I was training in the same gym and he was like, his thing was all about, um, the only thing people care about is your, uh, your biceps and your abs. Cause that's what people look at. That's the first thing a woman looks at. <laughs> and... And then, and then years later, I saw him, and he's like, "I'm very much focusing on my forearms now." <laughs> and he's like, "Because you think about it, if I just roll my sleeves up in a long sleeve shirt, they see it right there, and they figure everything else is good too." And it's I was so like, funny that you say that because there's a famous photo of him when he's like 70 years old, and he's walking down the street, and his his sleeves are rolled up to his elbows, and he's got these jacked forearms with these giant veins in them. And I always wondered, I was like, is that a candid photo? Why is he walking down the street by himself? How does the photographer know he's going to be there? I bet he did like a set of like yes. wrist curls, really jacked his forearms up and then rolled his sleeves up and walked down the street while a photographer was clicking it. I'm telling you, he's, he did, he's right? a, the man's a genius. Mm. He's a genius. Absolute. And I mean it mm. in every way. The guy's a genius. And I, I'm I'm inspired to to work my fireman forearms because if it's good enough for Sly Stallone, it's good enough for me. That's all I know. I hear you. Here, here, um, dude. This this has been great. I I want to come visit you in Austin. I expect you to be a good uh, wake surfer, though. By the time I get there, <laughs> I'll, I'll try. I haven't even done it once yet, so uh, I'm gonna need some time. I'm supposed to be taking lessons next week, so we'll see what's up. So good. All right. So we have a standing date. So let me know when you're, when you're coming to LA. Um, thank you so much for doing this. This is great. I, as you know, I learned from the master. I sit at the feet of the master in the podcast world. My pleasure, brother. It was a, an honor to be on your show. I appreciate it. And it was an honor to have you on mine as well. Thank you. It was fun hanging with you, dude. You're a good guy. I really enjoy it. Oh, thanks brother. You too. Let, let, I'll come back on, on yours and, and uh, we'll have some fun. Sounds great. Beautiful. All right, brother. Beautiful. Thank you. All right, Rob. Thank you. Take Bye. care, man. Bye. Well, there you have it. Thank you, Joe. I know you don't do many of these, and we were lucky to have you on. That was a great talk. So interesting. So fun. So funny. 
I had a blast. Anyway, hope you guys liked it as much as I did. And uh, don't forget next week, more literally with me and uh, the guests are, we're on a sort of murderer's row right now. We're sort of knocking it out of the park with the guests and I'm really psyched about next week. So I will see you then. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Literally with Rob Lowe. Produced and engineered by me, Devin Tory Bryant. Executive produced by Rob Lowe for Low Profile. Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco. And Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon at Stitcher. The supervising producer is Aaron Blair. Talent producer, Jennifer Samples. Please rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts. And remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Stitcher. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at the coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. 